Welcome to Babble Over Brews, deep thoughts fermented over time and text. I'm coming at you, Aaron Crude Juice for Verka, and I've got Keith. Wait, I'm ogling this beer can. <laughs> I've got Ed. Yo, what's up? <laughs> I've got Gumby. Hey, what's up? Tonight we'll be backgrounding the Dead Sea Scrolls, but first, Rochester Mills Peanut Butter Cup Milkshake Stout. This stout is rich and creamy. It is brewed with lactose to impart a fuller body and sweeter palate. It's a ABV of 5.0. Ready for that sound? Ready? 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 Oh! <laughs> While we're pouring this, this can has two giant or a giant high-res picture of two Primo peanut butter cups. Absolutely mouthwatering. I'm about to run out of the candy store. Oh my lord! It, this this couldn't be darker right now. This is like it is the well, it's the color of a tire. <laughs> oh wow! But that smells like a Reese's peanut butter cup. I need to lick the foam. I gotta lick the foam. <laughs> oh my gosh! You almost want to spoon it out. Yeah. yeah. Imagine this over a oh, little bit of vanilla ice cream. <laughs> right. Oh man. The nose in this thing is sensational. Not not a whole lot of head. It has some. It has some. Just enough to let you know that there's peanut butter and chocolate. <laughs> we will see if it lives up to the hype against, um, I think, one of our first beers ever was from Willoughby's. Yeah, right? Willoughby. They yep. had their peanut butter style. Which was awesome. Willoughby's is no longer here with us anymore. <sighs> Rest in peace. R.I.P. You're in a better place. <laughs> but is, I will say, man, there is not a hint of non-smoothness mm. in that. Oh my lord! Wow. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, to, I have to agree. That's really smooth. It's probably one of the lighter stouts I've ever tasted. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Usually they're they're a lot darker, a lot heavy. But for a stout, that's light. And yeah, it's, it's you can taste everything just gliding it, right through. It, it's almost it's almost like that peanut butter cup is like melting in the back of your mouth, right? That's it, it's that that sensation. Well, you're you biting know? off little chunks of it, like a really rich one. You don't want to just shove the whole thing in your mouth. And they've actually simulated in beer form biting off tiny chunks of a peanut butter cup and savoring it, like taking like 10 minutes to eat a single peanut butter cup. Yeah. This is magic. Oh, <laughs> this is so good. Just it so equally good. tastes good in the can. Did you taste it in the can? I have not. Okay, I'm going to do that too. Good. I have to try it every way. I'm going to try it in the can, that on the so can, good. hanging upside down. <laughs> in the house, with a mouse. <laughs> as, long as, as long as your clothes are on, man. <laughs> I forgot about naked versus clothes. Okay, give me ideas. Yeah, that's a great beer. My wow. lord, right? I can't believe it's 5% too. I expect a beer like this to be like 9, 10. Yeah, I expect true, to be right? drunk by a quarter of this candy. Yeah, exactly. Done. With stouts, you're like, now I can drink like five of them. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this is sensational. This, It's full bodied. The flavor is robust. It's not overpowering. Mm-hmm. And, and the, even there's no overt flavor of alcohol. It's very subtle. It's yeah, very, no. very subtle. Yeah. Mm. Good job, Roger. If you're a dark Mills. chocolate fan, you can definitely taste that like, dark chocolate like bitterness on the back end of it. Ooh, you're yes. right. Yeah. If you like dark chocolate, this, this is for you. Well, remember, if you recall, we did the Orange Whip not that long ago. This is the same brewery. Oh, yeah. That was really good. Yeah. Yep. Same brewery. So far, everything I've had from this brewery, Rochester Mills, is just golden. Both of those beers. This one in that uh, Orange Whip, a little bit over vanilla ice cream. That'd be great. Oh, yeah. 
I need to open up Christmas gifts gifts for dad dot txt here and write this down. <laughs> Great. Let's see when is our wedding anniversary. <laughs> Last month. <laughs> Oops. That's why she was mad at me. <laughs> so we're talking about the caves in Qumran. Yeah, how did we miss this after how many years have we been doing our podcast? <laughs> right. Wait, why are we talking about these caves? Is there like really good beer in there? No, yeah, actually, it's mostly guano. Oh, that's where <laughs> can you turn guano into beer? Dude, wasn't there a drink with guano in it? Well, I'm sure somebody will be inspired to have. Right, I'll this. start talking. I'll stop talking about bear, bat poop. I See, that's how rumors get started. Next month, Rochester Mills is going to have guano stout. <laughs> if anybody can make bat poop taste good, it's these guys. <laughs> so, uh, so real quick backgrounding. As the story goes, a shepherd of the Tamira tribe left his flock of sheep and goats to search for a stray amid the crumbling limestone cliffs that line the northwestern rim of the Dead Sea around the site of Qumran. He found a cave in the crevice of a steep, rocky hillside. Intrigued, he cast a stone into the dark interior, only to be startled by the sound of breaking pots. This sound echoed around the world, for he had stumbled on the greatest find of the century, the Dead Sea Scrolls. Upon entering the cave, the young Bedouin... Now, mind you, they, this is a little bit elaborated here. Technically, he did not enter the cave on the same day. This is, uh, sorry, in parentheses. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, is this uh, the opening of a history lesson or, you know, Lord of the Rings? <laughs> right. He actually did not enter the same night. So, according to the actual story from the shepherd... They marked where the cave was because the sun was already going down, and so they had to come back then the following day. Okay. So just yeah, it sounds cooler just, this way though. It does, it does. But just you know, to be honest, <laughs> okay. Upon entering the cave, the young Bedouin found a mysterious collection of large clay jars. The majority were empty, and upon examining the remaining few, he found the jars were intact with lids still in place. However. A closer look revealed nothing but old scrolls, some wrapped in linen and blackened with age. So just so you understand, when they pulled these out, they kind of looked like cigars. So, in fact, in fact, in this post, they don't even go into details about the poor, poor scrolls. Because at this point, they aired them out and hung them up to dry. Oh, no. These scrolls have been sitting around often for 2,000 years in completely containerized areas where they didn't have any air, and here they are just hung up on clotheslines for like three days. Wait, who who hung them up? Just these the are the Bedouin shepherds. Farmers? These, yeah, these are the shepherds. <laughs> so, I mean, you almost can't blame them for that. Yeah. I mean, at least they didn't smoke them. <laughs> Let's wrap these bad boys up. <laughs> Seeing the stars tonight, fellas. <laughs> Speak for yourself. I'm pretty sure these are from Mexico. <laughs> he, and <More> sev- later. <laughs> he and several companions brought the scrolls to Condo, a Bethlehem antiquities dealer, for appraisal. Intrigued by the findings, Condo sent the Bedouin back to the caves in search of more treasures. To his delight, they, retained with, they returned with a total of seven scrolls. Blind to the real value, the Bedouin had sold four of the seven scrolls to Kondo and three to a second antiquities dealer named Salahi. 
Kondo then resold the scrolls to Archbishop Samuel, head of the Syrian Orthodox Monastery of St. Mark in Jerusalem. When Hebrew University professor Eliezer Lipa Sukhanik caught wind, uh, by the way, I did not pre-read this text, so you can be impressed now. <laughs> caught wind of the scroll's discovery through an Armenian antiquities dealer, he set out to investigate the significance of the finds. Braving Arab-Jewish tensions, he traveled to meet the Armenian dealer at the British-divided military zone of the Jerusalem border. In this clandestine meeting, the dealer held up a fragment of the leather for the professor to examine. As Sukhanik peered through the wire, he recognized the ancient writing. Eager to see more, Sukhanik traveled with the dealer to Bethlehem to see Salehe, who was in the possession of three scrolls. Opening the scrolls, he was amazed to see Hebrew manuscripts, 1,000 years older than any existing biblical text. In his diary, Sukhanik recollected, quote, My hands shook as I started to unwrap one of them. I read a few sentences. It was written in beautiful biblical Hebrew. The language was like that of the Psalms, but the text was unknown to me. I looked and looked, and I suddenly had the feeling that I was priv privileged by destiny to gaze upon a Hebrew scroll which had not been read for more than 2,000 years. Man, what an experience that must have felt like. Right? I... <laughs> wow. <laughs> so, it, these are... Now, in the... Uh, uh, the uh, the first one, Kondo, he was actually also from the uh, uh, Orthodox uh, places in the Middle East. He's he was uh, I think he was a Syrian Orthodox, so so he was also uh, interested in these ancient biblical texts as well. You know, so it's among the people that live inside of the Middle East, uh, these older denominations, your Byzantine Catholics, uh, your historic Jewish people. Um, they, they, they prize these kinds of finds because oh, of it course. adds validity uh, to their faith, uh, the culture, you know, so. I'm sure there was a general uh, understanding that these things were out there somewhere. I don't know if there was up until this point. Scripture, writing, I just mean in general, yeah. not necessarily that specific find, but just it had to be something out there. And one of these days, who knows when... The, you know, like this guy found it. Yeah. Of course, you're coming right out of an era, era though, where so much historical stuff was destroyed. 1946 mm -hmm. to 47, like we we just lost buildings that were up for probably 1500 years or more mm -hmm. in World War II. It's true. Yep. Yeah. So this this truly was the find of the century. It was, yeah, mind blowing. Yeah, that is. Wow. So, um, so they had to try to figure out who lived here. I mean, why were these things stuffed away? And even the, uh, even the, uh, the shepherds, uh, apparently this was a regular route that they took their flocks up and down. And, uh, apparently the one shepherd that broke the first pot, that was a game of his to see if he could hit the openings of the caves while walking the path. <laughs> <laughs> kind of like, kind of like playing wow. hoops, right? <laughs> So when they heard that, it's like, oh, wait a minute, that that was not just a cave. <laughs> so that's an archaeological technique. That's not just a game to pass the time. Mm. Now we know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wow. 
Yeah, so it's it's really cool. And of course, in their minds, they probably weren't thinking, I wonder if there's biblical text up there. <laughs> <laughs> They're probably thinking, treasure, right? Yeah. 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 Maybe gold or whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I'm I'm sure that that they're thinking dollar signs, yeah. Which if you're, I mean, if you found that kind of find nowadays, that's exactly what you would it would be. I mean, that would sell on the open market today for mm. hundreds, if not millions. Some believe that some of them did. Um, there is rumors that a few of these texts were sold and are still in private collections somewhere around the world before they met the public. Um, like there's actually rumors that there's like a, like a Book of Enoch in, in Aramaic and. Um, don't know, but there's rumors about the about these certain books being found in the collection that, you know, don't know. <laughs> yeah, and recently. Oh, since yeah. since this, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. I just pulled up an article. I re- I remember reading not that long ago that there were some experts that were saying that some of the findings that were given to the museums from the Dead Sea Scrolls were actually fake, and so. I'm sure there's stuff out there. Who yeah. Knows? Well, it, it's very interesting because the, during this time period, because once they started carbon dating these things, they do date back to 2,000 years ago. So that starts the investigation of who did these belong to. Yeah. You know, they're out in the deserts. Who did these belong to? <laughs> you know. So back then you had... You had a couple of different groups. You had the Sadducees and the Pharisees, right? Those are the two big ones that come to mind because they're the ones that had the most interactions with with Jesus in that early, you know, first century, you know, the, the quote unquote Second Temple period. Mm-hmm. So, um, the the Sadducees were well, for one, they didn't believe in the afterlife because they the they hold only the first five books of the Bible, so. Uh, there is not really much of a of a reference to an afterlife in the first five books, the Torah, and so they don't really believe in the afterlife, and so they were they were sad. You see, <laughs> see what you did there. <laughs> <laughs> and the Pharisees were the ones that were uh, closer to the people. So you kind of have like the white collar and the blue collar. So it's very it's a very interesting dynamic, right? Mm-hmm. Because most of the Sadducees actually worked directly with the Roman officials, right? And you, you see some of that play going back and forth. Mm-hmm. In fact, that, that one reference where uh, they approach Jesus, they're trying to prove to him that there's no afterlife, right? So when they go up to him, what's the question that the Sadducee asks? Well, Jesus. There was this woman, and she was married seven times, and each one of them died. So which one of the... If there's an afterlife, this is going to be a shenanigans. This is a mess. There's no way there could be an afterlife because can you imagine what's going to happen afterwards? He's got to pay alimony for how many? (laughs) (laughs) So, (laughs) and that's when Jesus blows them away with his answer, right? And he's like, well, this is the way that they were made. So there is no marriage or remarriage in the kingdom of heaven. They're like the angels, which actually puts them in their place because they're expecting him to answer with another book of the Bible that references the afterlife. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't. He actually answers them with the Torah, yeah, which stops them in their tracks. <laughs> That's low-hanging fruit for him. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so the Pharisees were actually the ones that were closer to the people. They were like your blue-collar priests, right? So, so they're the ones that actually dealt with them. And uh, actually, 
most of the favorable, well, actually all the favorable interactions that you see with Jesus and any of the priests, it's always Pharisees. There's actually no favorable interactions you see with Jesus with any of the Sadducees. Hmm. So it's always a Pharisee, which is really, really interesting. I mean, people always say, well, it's Pharisees, group of vipers. But there are Pharisees that Jesus found very favorable and spoke you know, very well about. So they weren't all a brood of snakes. Yeah, right, <laughs> right, right. So, in fact, when Jesus performed several miracles, um, healing the blind lepers, right? Yep. He would say, now, go show yourself to the priests as is commanded by the law. You know, obviously, even though he was creating a new covenant, he still upheld the law. Well, he even said himself, so, he says, I've not come to abolish the law, I've come to fulfill it. Mm-hmm. His, his whole thing was not to come and replace the law, to do away with the law or anything. He, I mean, he said that straight up. He's like, I've come to fulfill it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, Qumran, that area, isn't that where the community where that... the another group, the Essenes, came from? Yes, it is. community where Jesus is probably most comfortable with in yes. his upbringing? It's funny you mentioned that. Yes. Yes, it is. So after they started uh, excavating the area, they did find out that this was an Essene uh, monastery. Mm. So it, it was an, actually a very advanced uh, monastery. The cave? Well, it turns out that the cave itself wasn't just a cave. That whole area was actually the monastery. And they lived all around the caves, in the caves. There was actually the remnants of the structures. Uh, in fact, there's the, 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 mikvah, the mikvahs, uh, or mikvahot, because there's, there's several of them. <laughs> they're, the, they're the ritual baths that, that you would have oh, to, okay. to cleanse yourself in, right? In fact, they had an advanced system because it's... Uh, it's an arid area. It's very dry. They really only get rain like during the winter seasons. And so what they did was they had all of these little cisterns and uh, all these different areas where they would let the water fall into so they would have water throughout the year. Oh. And they had a series, a series of channels set up so that when they went to go to release the water, it would flow into all the different baths. So there's more baths in this one area than there was in like all of the part of the Middle East. <laughs> So, in fact, they had uh, even the stairs they had sectioned off going down. So one side of the stairs was for going down and one side was for going up. So that way you wouldn't bump into each other, you know. So that way if you didn't see you, you're coming up out of the bath and the dirty guy bumps you and I have to get back in the bath again, right? Mm-hmm. So, so they actually had it sectioned off and there was a, there was, you could actually see in the pictures where there's a little bit of a, a divide between the stairs. So you had to stand one side or the other. You know somebody game that to take a longer bath. <laughs> <laughs> hey, he bumped me. <laughs> you saw it. You saw it. <laughs> so then would any of the questions of authority in terms of who the writings could have belonged to, I mean, wouldn't that more or less, or wouldn't these scenes more essentially have a bigger claim to the writings than any of the other groups? Well, so these writings were a collection from them. And what's really interesting is that, so the, like I said, the, the, uh, the, the Sadducees only had the Torah, right? And then the Pharisees had the old, pretty much what, what a Protestant Old Testament would be. There's a little bit of a difference on a couple of books, but more or less what a Protestant Old Testament would be, that's what you have. Although there, there's some subgroups within that that would also include the full Septuagint, right? So 
uh, the Greek Old Testament. Uh, that includes the seven additional books that Catholics have. <laughs> Cheap shot. <laughs> but the writings uh, themselves, were they, uh, were they in Greek or were they Aramaic? Yes. They were... <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yes. So they they were both they were in Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. Oh, see, so not one group can really lay claim. Nope. <laughs> yeah. What's really interesting is that all of them existed there. Mm. So and and what's really cool is that it, so it was um, it was uh, hold on I have a slide for this there we go so there was uh, on the initial find on the initial find there was approximately a thousand uh, texts. That were found, twenty-five percent of those would have been what we would call biblical books, and the other seventy-five were uh, sectarian writings. So these would have been like uh, the Community Rules book is one of those. Uh, these different uh, Pesherim, which are uh, commentary on on different uh, texts of the Bible. Like let's say in the Torah, there would have been so many different Pesherim for the books of the Torah, right? And there might have been multiple Pesherim for in each book. Mm-hmm. Of the Bible, so yeah, uh, Book of Genesis might have had five or six Peshram, right? So because these were different explanatory texts that would dive deeper into each one of these books to try to explain what they're trying to tell you. So, so there, there's a lot of those that were inside of there. Uh, most of them were written on uh, papyrus, some were parchment. So, uh, so the parchment would be like animal skins. Papyrus would have been like uh, the beaten uh, fibers. Read. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. The beaten fibers were turned into parchment <laughs> or uh, papyrus. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, it was, it was really cool. With the different languages represented, would that indicate more that some of the scrolls came from different areas, or that there was people from different areas who came there and wrote them? So there were Copied different them. different people that came to be part of the Essene group, um, and and they were very strict, like the Essenes. The Essenes were like he-men in holiness compared to the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Like, they were very, very strict. Um, but they were also very, very holy as well. It's interesting because they, you know, I guess in my view, they were also the ones that were very, you know, if Jesus came from this group too, out there in the sense of what they believed in, um, you know, like miracles and faith and and, and their belief system and all of that. So you could understand why Jesus thought the way he did. Oh, yeah. In, in an earthly sense and miracles and all of that. Yeah. So and, and and Jesus, there there are some people that do believe that Jesus studied among the Essenes. Yeah, and uh, some people even call them the early, our earliest naturalists. <laughs> you know, those kind of people who just believed in a lot of oils, a lot of healing oils and different things like that. It came from that. Oh yeah, they they even had uh, they had different what we would now call like star charts, right? For for planting different crops in different seasons. Okay. So yeah, they and uh, they really stressed asceticism. So it turns out that asceticism was not a Christian thing, <laughs> and we actually inherit it from Jewish beliefs, like we do a lot of our stuff, right? Just like purgatory and everything else. It's none of that is actually Christian. We inherit all of that from the Jewish people. Um. That we have an episode coming up about purgatory and uh, and the underworld. That's that's coming up. I have a whole presentation that uh, we'll do on the back end to prepare for it. Um, but yeah, that's gonna be a fun one. Sam and Dean. <laughs> it's been one that we've been working towards for a long time. 
Uh, they did practice celibacy, so uh, they were celibate, like celibate monks were uh, in the Christian era. Uh, they did accept a lot of books in their canon. So, like, obviously, all of what we would call the Catholic Old Testament plus more. So they also found, they also uh, verified several of the books, like Tobit. They had, like, at least five copies of Tobit. You know, so they had these additional books that were studied as well. Um, and, and they also had things like they, they found remnants of like the Book of Enoch among them and stuff like that. So it's pretty cool. They did expect there to be a Messiah. Like, there was a huge expectation of theirs. Like, Messiah was a huge, huge teaching of theirs. And again, which explains a lot about the story and the life of Jesus and him coming out of this group with that thinking. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. In fact, funny. He wasn't the first. Right. We thought that way. Yeah, yeah. In fact, there's uh, among the writings in uh, Qumran, there are several things that are said that are only ever said out of the writings in Qumran. In fact, when uh, when Paul makes his statement, these are not the works of the law, and he tries to differentiate between the law and faith, the only place you ever find that phrase is in the writings of Qumran. Yeah, so that's not, he's not trying to tell you, like, like all those things I studied when I was younger that kept telling me, oh, see, we're not supposed to obey all these ridiculous rules. It's just about faith, faith, faith. It turns out that all of that is bunk, and that what he is actually doing is he's actually verifying different teachings that were at Qumran. Mm. So we, we've completely lost the contextual teaching of what Paul was trying to teach because we didn't know what he was saying at the time. And it turns out that he's actually verifying things that were being said here as the only place that it is ever said is in Qumran, <laughs> in their writings. It's really interesting that, that fascinating, yeah. Now, what's now the early church fathers actually said that they actually said that Paul was actually trying to verify this stuff, and they were completely dismissed. And then he's going, "Oh no, no, the church fathers didn't know what they were talking about." Until years later, we find the writings of Qumran. We find out, oh yeah, no, they actually did know what they were talking about. <laughs> so, yeah, so uh, they did not go to the temple. By the way, they did. They why thought dis- the temple why was discredited. Defiled. Though, why would they want to discredit that? Because it, the church father said it was actually about covenant that he's trying to teach, and it had nothing to do with law versus grace. Mm. You know, and that's the argument. That's the modern day argument: is law versus grace, law versus grace. Okay. Well. It turns out he's trying to make references to covenant, and here, lo and behold, that's verified by these writings in Qumran that were written during Paul's time and just before Paul's time, right? So, yeah, so it's it's funny that that we lost that context until we refound these texts. Hmm. So, yeah, <laughs> again, like I always say, context is king. <laughs> oh no, it really is. Yeah. Yeah, so it's really cool. They they would not go to the temple because they saw that the temple was defiled because they were no longer allowed to do sacrifices or anything else. So they didn't see that as being a, a valid place for them to go anyhow. So they wouldn't even they wouldn't make any trips to up up there. So uh, Pliny the Elder is actually a historian of that time, and he goes through and he talks about it. Um, he said, "Quote." On the west, 
side of the Dead Sea, but out of range of the noxious exhalations of the coast, is the solitary tribe of the Essenes, which is remarkable beyond all the other tribes of the whole world, as it has no women and has renounced all sexual desire, has no money, and has only palm trees for company. Day by day, the throng of refugees is recruited. So that right, tells you right there that people are, are going to them. To an equal number by numerous accessions of persons tired of life and driven there by the waves of fortune to adopt their manners. Thus, through thousands of ages, incredible to relate, a race in which no one is born lives on forever, so prolific for their advantage is other men's weariness of life. Close quote. Wow. Yeah. So they just simply live by grace and knowledge. It's pretty cool. Strict. That's pretty strict. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm suddenly intrigued by an Essene's Instagram account. Hence <laughs> <laughs> tips for being a celibate crazy dude in the desert. <laughs> You know, it's 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 so uh, I I don't know I just feel so disconnected to it in a sense that you think back to that time already you're in the desert there isn't much to begin with to go that extra level you know yeah wow dude on one hand you want to ask like do you even want to be alive they probably didn't tell them all the tough stuff when they were recruiting it was probably just like hey we have a lot of bass guys. <laughs> <laughs> Right. We have water. <laughs> that's, that's a big step right there. All right. Desert, we have water. Yeah. Come on right. in. <laughs> yeah, I mean, right, because you can offer them gold, but what are they going to do with gold in the desert? <laughs> yeah, right. No, I mean, that's a good point. I mean, you think about that extreme view, maybe extreme isn't the right word, but that, that mindset and that worldview, and then you, you see why there was almost a lot of pushback when Jesus came onto the scene in the New Testament, like, yeah. this dude is nuts. This guy's nuts. And I remember the, I can't remember which book it's in, where they're talking about Jesus and, like, oh, he's from Nazareth. Nothing good ever comes out of there or something like <laughs> yeah. that. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. And you, you could understand why when you see how their thinking was and their worldview and all of that. And Yeah. Well, Nazareth was a ghetto. Yeah. <laughs> Right. In the ghetto. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it, it's it's remarkable. And it, it actually checks the dots for what we now understand to be the prophecies. But, you know, they understand understood things differently. Mm-hmm. Um, and then what's kind of cool is that they did find some things to verify a text. So that the, the top ten list of things they found inside of the, uh, the Qumran caves... Number one was they found a complete Isaiah scroll. So Really? Yeah. 100% complete Isaiah scroll. Um, And the remarkable thing about it was it was unremarkable. That that (laughs) That was the remarkable thing about it. It was contextually, verifiably what we have now. So... Very little had to change besides some of some of the spellings, some of the punctuations. Some of the, outside of that, it was unremarkable from what we have now, and that was the remarkable part: is that exactly. it hadn't changed. Right, validating. Yeah. yeah, because up to this point, the the only other complete scroll, scroll we had had was a thousand years older than this one, and so they had thought that maybe there had been some changes. Right, maybe there had been some. 
you know, chapters added, right? <laughs> but, but they found a complete Isaiah scroll all the way through, and it verified everything we have now in the mm. Isaiah scroll. So that was really, really kind of cool. They found, Good I think, job, it, scribes. Yeah, right? <laughs> I know. And they found, I think it was three of them, but, you know, just the fact we had it in Hebrew was remarkable. So um, the community rule, this was a big one. So the community rule was a scroll that actually went through and talked about, uh, well, the community and what you were supposed to believe and, uh, and what the rules that were, the process of thought, uh, their th- personal theology, how they live day to day. So the community rule actually did lay out how you were to live among the other Qumranians. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> so okay. yeah, so it was pretty cool. Uh, they, a lot of what we understand of that, of the, of the Qumran Essenes comes from the community uh, rule. Gotcha. So it's pretty cool. Uh, they did find uh, the Damascus document, uh, covenant of, the, of Damascus, uh, the war scroll is really interesting. So the Essenes were a prophetic group, all right? So they did believe in, in, in an end times type of deal, right? Okay. So they, they read Tim LaHaye. <laughs> Apocalyptic. <laughs> Even back then. <laughs> hey, he made money. <laughs> so, but they did have, uh, they did have the, uh, that idea of, of cataclysm, the apocalyptic literature. Gotcha. So, um, yeah. So if you read through what some of the, uh, uh, the apostles, uh, and the way Jesus talks, that actually kind of is their background because they do speak very much apocalyptically. You can see that. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I think a lot of that's mistaken because I do, if, if you go through things like, the book of Revelation, mm-hmm. obviously apocalyptic, apocalyptic uh, literature. Yeah. Everybody misses the fact that most of it is visions. And so a lot of it is actually relating what's taking place in the first century through a vision format. And so we're going to cover that on a different time. We have covered it in the past. We have. We'll cover it again because it's really, really interesting, and it's cool to get different views on it from different, uh, different angles. Yeah, but uh, it is. from a historical perspective, you can see how most of the book of Revelation took place across the first century, going into the second century. Um, the Temple Scroll, that was another one. Uh, let me see. They had uh, 4QMMT, which is on some works of the law. Again, based towards the Torah, uh, Peshiram. Yeah, I already explained those. Uh, some of the Psalms were found, uh, and of course, this one is really cool. The Melchizedek document. That one is really interesting. Um, the Melchizedek document is really interesting because a lot of what Jesus depicts across the first en- uh, century kind of relates to the Melchizedek document. And a lot of what the apostles write about relates kind of to that Melchizedek document. Um, we'll have to do a whole like backgrounding episode in this because there's a lot. Like there's there's a lot. <laughs> so yeah, I'm not even familiar. That's the first time I heard of it. Yeah, there's yeah. Well, you hear it in mass every week, but <laughs> actual document. 
No, no, no. Melchizedek. The, 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 the references, oh, okay. the references for in mass come from a roundabout way from this. Interesting. Yeah. Hmm. So. Oh, you said the Melchizedek. Yeah. I thought you said the Melchizedek. Oh. <laughs> we hear it every week in our church. Oh. <laughs> uh, and the rules of the congregation. Which Fine, it, you got one over us, Aaron. <laughs> <laughs> one or two. Well, it's my I favorite mean, part of Mass. You can tell by how I, by what I remember. He's <laughs> like at our church. <laughs> my church? Imagine this every Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> Aaron's drinking the good wine there, man. <laughs> uh, even, even, I mean, let, let's be honest. Most Catholics are not going to have any recollection of this, even in the mass. So, no, no, <laughs> so, that's, that's going pretty deep. We, yeah, yeah. It's, it's cool. Yeah. A lot of us have like a gaggle of babies in each arm because of the birth control thing. <laughs> <laughs> There's this thing called NFP. It's just... worth and multiply. That's what I stopped reading. <laughs> Your things are cyclical. You just have to play it around them. Just say it. <laughs> we should do an episode on that. Oh. <laughs> I'm good on that one. I that you know it's already. <laughs> um, yeah, so, so there you go. So thoughts. That's a lot I just crammed at you right there. So right there, that's something to talk about. Yeah. yeah. So the answer might be no, as I, as you were explaining this, because the the scripture that was found in there was remarkably consistent with what we have. But were any future translations influenced by this finding? So, yes and no. Um, I will say that they're the International Standard Version Bible, ISV. Um, if you grab a copy of that, that is the word-for-word translation from Qumran. Hmm. So there, that's the only Bible I know of that did a full, uh, a full translation from Qumran, but they did. Um, and they did it just because, again, it was remarkably unremarkable, mm-hmm. and they wanted to say they could do it, so they did it. Are you talking like the Book of Isaiah part of it? <laughs> yeah. Okay. The whole, book, the whole book of Isaiah is, uh, is from Qumran in the ISV. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. So uh, not that it's going to be different than any other translation, but... <laughs> But it's kind of cool they did that, though. Yeah, no, it is. Yeah. Is it possible like Isaiah was just like one of the like less controversial books even across like all translations? I've never really heard any controversies no, no. about Isaiah. He's more controversial. Really? Oh, yes. oh really? Oh, yeah, yeah. Because uh, because there's references to a, a sacrificial Messiah. That's true. And That's so he's very controversial. <laughs> um, yeah, we could do a whole episode just on Isaiah. <laughs> I'm sorry. If you're in England, Isaiah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, yeah, it's he's he's very controversial, which makes him fun. <laughs> it's interesting to see the divide even back then with the you know the and not to go too far down this trail, but the apocalyptic mindset back then divided into this day still divides us into so many different ways of thinking. Yeah, or umbrellas under Christianity, right? <clears throat> Because, you know, the worldview and the mindset that Jesus, his community that he grew up with, was thinking that way. Absolutely. Yeah. And you can you can understand the natural backlash to like, man, can you just, the whole world's not going to end. Can you chill out? <laughs> but it is. <laughs> and I'm going to save you. Convers- kind of like conversations we're having right now. Right. Yeah. Again. And you see how it divides, and it's still a dividing thing so much. So it, it, it is 
it's just so interesting and intriguing to me that it, it hasn't played out a whole lot different in many ways. Yeah. Yeah, no, no, I, I agree. It's still agree. a dividing factor and a dividing person. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And there's, uh, there's people that do believe that um, uh, John the Baptist was also raised by the Essenes. That wouldn't shock me one bit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there's there's several things that take place from from the way he dressed, the way he ate. Um, he was probably he was probably exiled <laughs> by them. <laughs> so you're too crazy. <laughs> you're too crazy for crazy. He, actually, yes, yes. Too uh, far left or too far right? You guys pick. I don't know. <laughs> that's pretty much how they, they, they believe it could have gone, and that's because they're waiting for this Messiah to turn up. Well. John the Baptist is baptizing people, saying, "Hey, there's this Messiah guy, and I know he's coming." So, and they're all like, "Not again!" Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that may have been the dividing factor. <laughs> Baseball. <laughs> yeah. So, um, we don't want to be around this guy when his head turns up on a platter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there was, and there actually was a, uh, there was another exile. Again, because he probably was exiled, uh, that Josephus makes mention of, and Josephus makes mention. I think his name was, uh, oh, I think it was Banus or Breck, not Breck. His name is Banus, uh, but he makes reference to him and says that he went for three years to study with him, and he was exiled by the Essenes, and he sounds a lot like John the Baptist. <laughs> so, yeah, so. It sounds like that there are some people who, if the Essenes did exile you, some of them still wanted to live that holy life, so they would still keep in that Essene lifestyle. Mm-hmm. So, we pause right there. We're going to do a word from our sponsor. If you ever wanted to train Muay Thai, perhaps there's no gyms near you. Perhaps you work odd hours. Perhaps, like a few of us, you don't like germs. Whichever way it goes, you can train online with some of the best instructors from around the country, either live or in class with other students. Living Muay Thai gives you the chance to do all of this and much more. So jump into live classes and on demand right now. LivingMuayThai.com terms of theology in different uh, denominations, especially with a lot of what I would call, because I was raised in it, uh, like really far-right evangelical in terms of, you know, the world is ending, the apocalyptic, the Tim LaHaye thing, you brought it up earlier. You know, a lot of that stuff, you know, you pull on that thread and it unravels really quickly when all the prophecies are fulfilled in, in the early church in AD 90. Right. Yeah. And so when you have that kind of preterist type of thinking, it, it's really nerve wracking to think that. Yeah. It's not very welcome. It isn't. <laughs> so I feel like there's got to be some type of balance there. And I think that balance is really just kind of taking that worldview. Like, yes, during their time, it was a future event to happen. That's what he was trying to warn. Yeah. But we don't have to stay stuck there now in that thinking, always anticipating, you know. Everything is imminent at the, you know, in the very second the trumpets are going to sound and the sky is going to crack open and, you know, and we're all going to be lifted up or 
whatever type of event you may have heard growing up. I mean, I heard it my whole life. Yeah. I've seen all the movies that was indoctrinated into me as a child that scared the leave, living bejesus out of me. <laughs> right? A Distant Thunder, A Thief in a Night, Rapture Ready, whatever you want to call it. Man, those bring back some memories. Tell me about it, man. Yeah, I had a, a lot of counseling to do there. <laughs> but a lot of that stuff unravels, that thinking, that mind, that mindset, that worldview just falls apart. Yeah. When you really take on this mind, this way of thinking. And I think, I don't think it should be that earth shattering. I just think that's actually more balanced. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. Um, I am, as you know, very more, far, far more, uh, I'm millennial myself, um, just because I believe you can definitely uh, explain more of prophecy through, uh, through history. <laughs> mm. And... I'm not saying that all prophecy has been fulfilled, but I'm saying that the vast majority of what we would call apocalyptic or cataclysmic prophecy, I, yeah, I believe a lot of it has been fulfilled. Yeah. Not to say that it can't be cyclical, because mm-hmm. it definitely could be cyclical. It could, uh, it could, it could potentially happen again in a cyclical manner because uh, a symmetrical viewpoint. Uh, well, prophecy can happen in cycles mm-hmm. so so it is it is possible that uh the same events could repeat until we get it right yeah. <laughs> so you know like, like you're saying that kind of brings up uh, a friend of mine a friend of mine and me were talking a few months back we were talking about you know end times and you know he was talking about what is what his uh pastor was saying at his church about because they and recently been talking about some of that stuff um and the pastor said i'm i'm paraphrasing so forgive me if you're listening i get this wrong um but he was basically, he had said that, like, up from when Jesus had left, we have always had the possibility of the end times, of, of what we consider to be the end times, meaning the end of the world, events happening. Yeah. What God the Father has been waiting for is for the church. When the church decides to rise up and to meet its biblical, um, what it what we what we need to biblically do that is when that'll happen. Until then, and that's why it says nobody but the Father knows. Yeah. Um, but like, and even look at throughout history, I think we can look at certain events and go, these events looked like they could have led up to the end of the world mm-hmm. had the church risen up and taken its proper place. What we've been called to do, mm-hmm. because we haven't done that. Skip, repeat. Yeah. There, there's a, there's another possibility. Yeah. Um. So. In English is different than Greek, all right. So, in Greek, that doesn't say end of the world. In Greek, it's it's aeon, it's end of the age. Okay. And so, a lot of scholars believe that it's not the end of the world; it's the end of the closing of the old covenant. So, and it makes a lot of sense when you actually see that a lot of those prophecies were fulfilled in seventy A.D. Mm. Like. Once you understand the history and the geography and the seismographical problems that happened, a lot of that happened in 70 AD. Uh, right down to the persecution, the beast, that's all first century. And I can, if you go back and listen to our episodes uh, with Brian Gadawa, um, you could see a lot of that. Like, the beast was Nero. <laughs> it's, it was Nero. Um, it's, it's really easy to see. Yeah. Um, yeah, we can give we can do a breakdown, you know, later, or or our listeners can go back and listen to the, those episodes. They're really good. Yeah, um, it all fits it's beautifully. Not to say that it can't be cyclical and happen again, but 
what's fantastic is if we think there's an end of the world, mm-hmm. we don't believe in the Bible. Because the Bible in Daniel gives us a different prophecy. And according to that prophecy, it says that there will be a kingdom set up by the stone cut without hands, Jesus, because he had no natural birth. And that nation will slowly overtake the whole world, and that kingdom will never end. Which means we don't need an end times event. It means the kingdom slowly engulfs the world until the whole world is now the kingdom. (laughs) Just saying. How much alcohol is in this? <laughs> I get what you're saying. And I, I yeah. definitely see what you're saying, too, because, I mean, every generation's had its its moment, right? Yeah. You know, this is it. Yep. I mean, I, I can't. I, there's not a day that goes by that I probably don't hear from my mom still. <laughs> you know, honestly, I use it ends at the times, honey. I just, you know. I like to take not knowing the time or place as an invitation to not presume that's at any particular time and place no i mean the one because you can kind of i mean you can kind of see it with i mean i guess we don't know how bad the bad parts of the essenes are but we know how bad the bad parts of a lot of our doomsday cults have been if you believe that the end is imminent and that everybody needs to do a very particular thing before the end or else their soul will be eternally tormented you can justify doing anything to anyone you can justify a suicide pact. You can justify abusing children. You can justify raping people. You can justify whatever you want because you are doing the work to bring people to God. Mm. That's a good point. Yeah, there's that. But you can never, yeah. but you can never justify robbing a bank. <laughs> That'd be anti-capitalist. Yeah, that's. <laughs> no, that's a good point. I mean, I wonder if just like a modern equivalent of you know we talk about the Essenes. I'm picturing the guy on the street corner with a sign up, you know, looks homeless or whatever. The end is near. The end is near. The end is near. <laughs> you know that group yeah. of people. Well, I, I think that we the have a modern day equivalent. The modern day equivalent would be the monks, because we have all kinds of different Christian monks that live around the world in asceticism. Um, Byzantine monks, Orthodox monks, Roman Catholic monks, uh, all over the world that live in you know, secluded lifestyles. Um, and uh, just, they focus their life around prayer and holy living. So that would be the closest equivalent that we have. So I would have to imagine that the groups among themselves, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, you know, the Sadducees, like those Pharisees, they got to be a cult, right? And the Pharisees, <laughs> those are scenes, they're definitely a cult, right? Because they don't think like us. And, you know, we do the same thing today, right? I mean, because... We're so quick to label Jehovah Witnesses, you know, as a cult or a Seventh Day Adventist or whatever. It just doesn't think that think like us. Under the Protestant Church and our one or two different denominations, we may or may not have. <laughs> I stopped counting. <laughs> what would you say is our modern day equivalent oh, to the Essenes? Good Lord! Even if that included a Mormon or a whatever Jehovah's Witness. Let me think. Huh. Or that's, would you say each one had their same type of thinking? That's, each? that's that's a hard one because there is a bunch of different subgroups right now. There's one here in Ohio that uh, is a secluded uh, cult group, and uh, they're not even, they're not in the books. I mean, they're on the government books, but you won't find them in the phone book. 
Um, I only knew about him because uh, on my daytime job, working in the uh, in the cable industry, some of our guys have done service calls there, <laughs> and they have a whole compound. It's a whole. Co- it's like it's he's like sixty some acres. They have a whole compound, a, a small mansion on there. They all live there, and uh, yeah, it, it, you have to get buzzed in. Somebody stays with you the whole time when you're there. Um, but it's some kind of Protestant branch, and uh, really, I don't know what their belief system is. I, but they are some kind of Judeo-Christian group. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> so that that would be like that kind of group. Yeah. <laughs> I don't doubt it. I don't doubt it one bit. And that's, I'm not trying to knock them. I'm not saying they're thinking. I just, I don't know enough. It doesn't surprise me that there, there are, you know, that, that thinking still exists. So, yeah, I don't know enough about them to to say anything about them. Yeah. Yeah. I can't say they're great. I can't say that they're terrible. I I have no, (laughs) we just know they exist. Yeah. That's it. (laughs) I just know that, uh, what was it? The Davidian compound didn't end too well with David. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But there's a lot of things that went on there. That might be one to go over someday. <laughs> I mean, that's truly the challenge when you talk about having a secluded community of people very devoted to some kind of like, you know, the end is coming. Like, it's how do you have that, keep bringing in people, and not have it devolve into a weird sex thing? <laughs> <laughs> well, we, 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 we do not have modern evidence of this working out. Yeah. I mean that is kind of a correct thing. It was like like you look look into somebody's what we label as cult and stuff, and there's, I mean it may start out as certain people with a certain viewpoint just wanting to get together, you know, and live a certain lifestyle outside of the you know that would be hard to live in the normal world. But they're like, oh, we have a bunch of people here to agree with us. Let's let's buy some land and do it. Um, but like I said, sooner or later, it, it for the, historically it it divulges into something different. Now whether that's because they let people in that they shouldn't let in or, you know, whatever. Who knows? But take takes just one weirdo. <laughs> well what we view as the whole weird, code. they you know, I'm sure the leaders are viewing as a perk. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> This'll bring you closer to God. Right. I'm pretty sure anytime you get involved with any religious group, when you find out only the leader can have sex with your wives, there's a problem. (laughs) No, no, no. It's in the Bible. It's in there. Just you don't need to read it. (laughs) Right. Right. I can't imagine like seeing tanks and military people and the police coming and you're David Koresh. Hey, guys, remember I was talking about the world. It's right here right now. (laughs) You know, we're leaving. That's crazy. Yeah. Uh huh. But you know, it looks if you've been in there for years, and that's what you see. You see David Crush over here and tanks over there. You're like, so true. I totally believe this guy. It's I mean, happened. when has he ever let me down? He prophesied, and here it happened. Oh, I guarantee you, it was one of the angry husbands that uh, we're the insiders. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, my wife has had three kids, and none of them are mine. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Oh boy, that's the guy that told. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, the, the Essenes were a very interesting group. Again, there's the uh, we should spend probably if if I get the person on, I want to get on. He could give us a whole hour on backgrounding the Mel the Mel the Melchizedek uh, script because it's it's really cool. Yeah, like it's really cool. Um. Here, I'll give you just a little bit of a hint right here. Um, so, I'm sure most of our listeners know, you know, the Anointed One, 
you know, uh, was was to come, the Messiah, Mashiach, uh, Christos, uh, to save the people, right? So, and here you have, this is from 1QS, from the Qumran Caves. They shall govern themselves using the original precepts by which the men of the community begin to be instructed, doing so until there come the prophet and the messiahs of Aaron and Israel. Because they believed in dual messiahs. Okay. Yeah. So there's a, inside Daniel, Daniel kind of sheds a little bit of light. I mean, uh, Deuteronomy sheds a little bit of light on, on what their idea is right here. Uh, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brethren, whom you shall heed. So that's his. That's the idea. The stock is going to come from Israel, right? Mm-hmm. So that's that's right. Uh, Deuteronomy uh, eighteen fifteen. All right. So then you also have the idea of the two messiahs that comes from Jeremiah thirty three seventeen eighteen. David shall never lack a man to sit on the throne, and the Levitical priest shall never lack a man. To make sacrifices forever. Uh, and Zechariah says, I see two olive trees. And those are, would be the two messiahs, right? The two Mashiach. Then you get down over here to 11Q, which is 11Q Melchizedek. They are the inheritance of Melchizedek who will return them to what is rightfully theirs. He will proclaim to them the Jubilee, thus releasing them from the debt of all of their sins. See, so you have. The echoing, who is Jesus? He was the Mashiach that was to release them from all of their sins. So you have this echoing, these ideas echoing through that Melchizedek text. Um, again, Sounds like an awesome movie, the Melchizedek. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure there it's was... The Marvel Cinematic Universe, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, we do know that God, the prophets, and the Pope are all in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Well, or at least in the Marvel Universe. <laughs> Pope, really? John Paul II had his own Marvel issue. Yeah. Whoa. <laughs> you didn't know that? I'm not really. I just watched the movies. I'm not a good fan. <laughs> yeah, Pope, Pope John Paul II had his own issue. Wow. Yes, you can now Marvel. Ooh. <laughs> 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 Uh, in, Levitic- in Leviticus, it says, and you shall count seven weeks of seven years, seven times seven years, so 49 years. Then you shall send abroad the loud trumpet on the 10th day of the seventh month on the day of atonement. Keep your calculators open. And he shall hallow the 50th year and proclaim liberty throughout the land. It shall be a jubilee for you. When each of you shall return to his property, and each of you shall return to his home. So here's that echoing again, right? And so you hit uh, again. Yeah, uh, this is from 2 Chronicles 36, uh, 20. He, Nebuchadnezzar, took into exile to Babylon those who had escaped from the sword until the establishment of the kingdom of Persia to fulfill the word of the Lord. So... There's, mm. that, there's that math. Hold on, ready? Jeremiah, and so the land had enjoyed its Sabbaths all the days. It lay desolate. It's It shall be 70 years equals 490 years of failure to keep the Sabbath. That was, they failed. Remember, they failed to keep all of those Sabbaths. Now, I'm glossing over a lot right here just to make the points. Yeah. <laughs> so, the, I'm sorry. The Jewish people had failed to keep a lot of the Sabbaths, all right? 
mm-hmm. which ended up to being 70 Sabbaths they had to keep 490 years. That's why I said, break out your calculators. Oh, God damn you, common core. All right. So that leads you to Isaiah. And that's 61.1. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our Lord, to comfort all who mourn. And so that leads, of course, back to Daniel. You're going to go back to that 400 and... Uh, 90 years, right? Mm-hmm. I'm not going to go ahead and read it because I think I've gone over this in the past. You go to the prophecy of Daniel, it's 490 years. Same idea, right? Missing out all the Sabbaths. And so you go to 11 Q Melchizedek. And concerning what Scripture says, in this year of Jubilee, you shall return every one of you to your property. And what is also written, and thus it is the manner of the remission. Every creditor shall remit the, the claim that is held against a neighbor, because God remission has been proclaimed. So there's an echoing of what Jesus talked about, and the prophecies from the Old Testament also manifest right there in that Melchizedek script. Don't they still practice that today in Israel? Um, the, uh, I don't want to speak for any of the rabbis. <laughs> the uh, Among the religious, in terms of who's a... I don't want to say member, but who follows religiously in Judaism, uh, seven years of wiping out debt. They, there's, from what I understand of the rabbinical practice, they are supposed to, yes. They do still have the, um, they do still have the Jubilees, they still have the, uh, it's escaping me. What's the name of it? Ah, uh, what's the Jewish holiday? Um, Hold on, hold on. What's the Jewish holiday? Christmas, Rosh Hashanah. Any American holiday. I get it. <laughs> so, Rosh Hashanah, and uh, the year is... Ha! Ah, darn it! Okay, but yes. <laughs> it's the Jubilee year, yes. yes. Yeah. I forget the name of it. Doggone it. I don't, I don't really know anything. It's Rosh Hashanah. <laughs> Hanukkah, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yes, Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur. Oh, Thank there you. you go. There you go. Don't yes. Like Day war. <laughs> yes, Yom Kippur, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> So, uh, but yeah, that's the release of, of the, the credit, uh, the debt and everything else. Yes. Uh, you're supposed to forgive the debts. Um, this all kind of relates back to that idea. And so that would be the grand one was the year when the Messiah came. That's when... Jesus Christ at the end of the prophecy actually comes at that 490-year mark is, mm. according to some scholars, is when he's riding on the donkey through the gates. Mm. So, oh. yeah. Right. Taboo question coming up. <laughs> it's got to come up. It's nothing taboo for brew. You know, especially with, with, you know, the discovery at the Qumran caves and it validating scripture and all of that. You know, Jesus was never accepted as the Mashiach among Judaism, which births all of our faith, right? Yep. He wasn't, and to this day he isn't. Um, what what didn't he fulfill among, you know, was it just because he had more of an insane-type thinking? What, what qualifications didn't he meet that, we accept outside of the Judaic faith 
they do not. Okay, so I'm going to... That the, you know, that the scrolls could invalidate. Mm-hmm. I mean, it seems like there should have been like, oh, man, this is all clear now. We can all be on the same page, in a sense. Yep. I'm going to answer a question with a question, because I think it's going to answer the question. When Jesus comes again in glory, we expect him to do what? Are you going evangelical on me now? See, I don't know. What are we taught? We're taught that Jesus is going to show up as a warrior king, right? And he's going to have this proclamation and rule over the nations, and he's coming on this grand horse, and there's a sword coming out of his mouth, and there's, yeah, that's what they believed. And you could see why I think that the that is wrong as well, because that's what the first generation believed. That means that what you believe is Jesus Christ's next return is also wrong. So we're just it's a matter of misinterpretation. Yep. They believe the same thing that the evangelical world believes. It's identical. And they I believe see. the identical thing. That opens up a whole other can of worms for me that I will not get into. But there's also a lot of diversity there too, right? Because even we were saying the contempt groups at contemporary oh, Jesus time didn't necessarily all believe in like a literal Messiah. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. But as far as the, the, the pharisical side. Got it. Yeah. yeah. And there is the group, uh, um, I forgot the name, that, that are Judeo-Christians here in America that believe Jesus is the Messiah. I can't. Like yeah. Messianic Jews? Yes. Messianic okay. Yeah. yeah. Yes, they do. Yeah. So, I, it, I will. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, you're good. I was going to say, but again, that's that's almost still fringe, you know. Yeah, it's not it's not mainstream. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I was just going to say this. this I mean, this is going to take a whole lot more thought and looking into, and you know, maybe a whole other podcast or whatever. But just mm-hmm. my my quick thought on that whole topic and what Bumby brought up and what you brought up oh, is. Yeah. The prophecy is about, if you look at the prophecies about Jesus, he was prophesied as Messiah for Israel. Mm-hmm. It was nowhere in the actual prophecies was he prophesied as a physical Messiah. And physical meaning he'd take over, he'd route, he'd route all the people that were holding him captive, you know, make them the rulers of the land, yada, yada, yada. Oh, there is. Um, that was something that was interpreted by them. Oh, no, no, it's there. Where? Yeah, it's there. Well, we can go over this later. There, there are right, right in the in the Psalms, it talks about him ruling over the lands with an iron rod. Yeah, no, no, there, there's that's that's physical. Okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, know what you're well, I was gonna say, cause, well, again, I guess that's... my point, but um, the point I was I, where I was gonna go with it is the the I was taught this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> he, he, he's got the medal. I don't. <laughs> Um, is the verse that you brought up about him, you know, coming on a horse and everything like that? That was told after him. That was told specifically about the second coming. So yeah, yeah, it, it's really strange. So if you take the the mainstream idea from the from the Jewish people in the first century, mm-hmm. um, they were expecting almost identically what the evangelical world is expecting now with yeah. Jesus Christ's return, and that's why I am I've said it for a while now. Not forever, because I, I was duped, too. Um, I said, if they got it wrong, they're also getting it wrong. Because there's no way that Jesus is so naive that he's going to say, oh, hey, hey, Satan, hold, come here, come here, come here. Here's what I'm doing, ready? I, w- I want to prep you so you understand what is happening, what I'm doing, okay? Everybody knows. I, w- I want to make sure you know, too, so that way you can know how to pre- prepare against me. <laughs> You see, see how ridiculous that it is? 
to say that we understand what Jesus is going to be like when he comes back is to say that he just laid all of his plans out so that he's making sure that Satan can take as many souls as he can with him. That's a ridiculous idea. <laughs> well, the whole idea of, of the Messiah, you know, in terms of which different strains of Jewish thought and their thought processes go, I mean, I've heard one thought saying that, you know, the Jewish people as a, as a whole represent the Mashiach. Yeah. And another way I've heard it represented as a, you know, a quote unquote prime minister is what they have today as a le- leading the Jewish people in the state today as their Mashiach. Yeah. Depends on how well they do. He does good. That's our Messiah. Yeah. That kind of thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so the idea of, you know, Jesus and, and again, during that time, he wasn't the first one who, who had professed it. And didn't fulfill they thought it should be at that time. Yeah, yeah. So, because, you know, even that that scripture you brought up that he would rule over the nations, I mean, some people view that as just, you know, David. Mm-hmm. So it there's so much to just, you know, you're yeah. looking at it from so, so many different parse. angles. Yeah. 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 Oh, and that's what I believe. You don't have to believe that. Oh, no, that's, that's fine. That's fine. <laughs> um, and, and I will agree with you on this I'm point. I'm saying that on, on my side. So... Mm-hmm. So just just so you and the audience understands, uh, what I believe is what I believe. I don't expect everybody to agree with me. In fact, I hope not everybody agrees with me because it makes for better conversation. <laughs> <laughs> but I will agree with you on this point. Mm-hmm. I, I've come to realize this more and more. The deeper I dive into the Bible, the deeper I look into, like like you say, knowing the context of stuff. Like what was the crowd they were speaking to? What was the language they were using? What was the influx of that language? You know, that kind of stuff. Um, that we've lost a lot of that stuff. But mm. going back, I, I do believe that, like what you said, what we have pictured and been taught in Western church philosophy, because this is what I know and I grew up in, I can't speak for you know other places around the world, as how God is coming back and what he'll look like and everything and how we've interpreted it. Yeah, it's going to be 100% wrong. I mean, it's, 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 you take this stuff and, and we, we, we just, we put it in this box and we go, this is the only way this can come out is this, if it fits this box. And God goes, well, that's, that's not my box. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So yeah, yeah, I mean, whether he comes back, you know, riding on the clouds on a horse or, you know, with the, with the Starship Enterprise at his back, whatever, <laughs> you know, it will be different, you know, than how we have. Yep. I mean, there'll be some parts that are familiar, some parts that are not. I mean, but I think at the end of the day, we'll all be able to look up and go, he's back. Yep. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. And Mizo, uh, Michael Heiser always said it the best way. He was like, you know, when it's all said and done at the end of the day, it's like, are we really going to quibble over this again? Yeah, I mean, we're not. <laughs> and, and that, that comes, comes, comes back to some of my views of like the end of the world. Like I, when I was a kid, I was hung up on the whole book of Revelation, how the world's going to end and all the seals and trumpets and all that and the stuff. But I was like, yeah, I was... finally grew out of it. And I finally just kind of scratched my head and go, why am I so hung up on this? Like, I, I, it's, and I think it's, it's cool to like look into that stuff and to know Jesus says, you know, the signs, you know, the times, you know, oh, yeah. look, look at the stuff. But it's like, and I've watched the church and, you know, and friends and stuff like get sometimes so argumentative and competitive over this stuff. And it's just like, guys, at the end of the day, it's going to happen. Whether we, it's, 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 yeah. it's on your timeline or your timeline or how you view it or how you view it. Like, it, I think we can, we all agree it's going to happen. You know, God is coming back again. There will be a second coming. Like, a, a Newsboys had a song out on the album Going Public. I think it was called Lights Out. It's basically it was it was talking about and I'm dating myself with this song. Um 
but it was basically talking about like why are you shutting down and doing nothing as if the end is coming when it's not here like that is not what our, our our not what God has called us to do. He has called us to go out to be examples, to preach, to teach, to be to you know live, to give our hands out to the poor and to the needy and stuff. Like, do that until He comes or until I die. Yeah, that's what we're called to do. Yeah. yeah. So until either one of those things happen, we shouldn't be hiding and you know and and, and you know it's, it's fun to have these contextual talks and you oh, know yeah. theories and stuff like that. But like, let's do what we're called to do. Yeah, oh, yeah. Take taken far enough studying trying to understand the end times is an invitation to become comfortable with uncertainty mm-hmm. so much of what comes out of toxic real religiosity today is this quest to be absolutely certain about something that we probably frankly have no business being certain about yeah and when we're all a little more comfortable being like we don't really know everything we can actually like chill out and just like hang you know yeah and maybe that's the meaning of life yeah. <laughs> i don't know <laughs> I, I, yeah, I think in a lot of ways you're right. I mean, you know, in the, in the parables of like the virgins and stuff, you know, ten virgins, you know, waiting with their olive lamps. God didn't call them to just sit around. He actually criticized the ones that sat around waiting for the end. He, but the, the ones that went out prepared and did stuff, he was like, "You're welcome. Come on in." Yeah. You know? I mean, and he and he even says, and we, we said it earlier. You know, he says nobody knows the time but the Father. Why are we down here scrabbling about an actual specific date? You don't know it. Look in the Bible. You do not know it. If you think you do, you don't. <laughs> well, and everyone who gave a date did, never worked out well. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> never worked out well. Yet they never really seem to pay a big price for that. There's still a bunch of people like, oh, you got it wrong once. You'll get it right the next time. I'll keep yeah. following you. I know. Yeah, that, 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 that's, that's so true. I mean, we kind of touched on that the last time David Burnett was on. Mm-hmm. And how this apocalyptic thinking really lends itself lends itself to you know greedy politicians and people who are really high on the world stage to manipulate religion, yeah, to keep people you know to keep the gravy train rolling in a sense geopolitically or whatever that's going on in their own state. I mean, it's it's easy to keep people thinking that way. Um, it, it it was for us. You know, especially in the evangelical world and, you know, you start seeing these things and all of a sudden on TV, oh, this is a this is a prophet fulfilled. So I guess, you know, we need to keep doing this. And a lot of that, I, it did happen under Trump. A lot of people, evangelicals felt prophecies were being fulfilled under him. And I'm like, this is crazy. You know, it's really funny. Like there was this one catholic dude on youtube somewhere and he was like here's a video of me 20 years ago giving a bunch of prophecies and i feel like this happens everywhere anybody who does prophecies other than like the specific you know on this date the world will end which we've explained why people get away with that um but they'll be like the prophecy will be like bad stuff's gonna happen and then mm-hmm. inevitably you can go 20 years 50 years whatever and be like oh my goodness there's a bunch of bad stuff that happened the world's going to hell in a handbasket oh my gosh that guy was right yeah 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 Everybody's a prophet. <laughs> that, that's been a huge talking point. Not not so much recently, but in the past, among some of my uh, Christian friends, we have a group text that you know we've known each other for years. And we have a group text that we get in, we get in all kinds of conversations. Um, it, it is about is about the prophetic. Um, I personally believe there there are prophets out there, but I but I have but I have been exposed to so many, and I won't even say that they weren't godly men, but they were men that either were not prophets that claimed to be, or were not con- properly conveying what the God was giving them, you know, and they would come out with, like you said, a lot of these, you know, vague things. And it's just like, and people go, well, see, they were right. And I'm going, 
I could have, I was saying that back in 2007. Nobody called me a prophet. Like, where's all my credentials? Where's my book deal? Like, yeah, I said, I said, hey guys, if we keep going this way financially, it's gonna burst. Yeah. You know, three years later, it burst, and like nobody ever gave me credit. Do you have a piece of paper? I don't. Oh, see, there you go. I, I, I get my piece of paper. Anybody know why mill in place I can make get my piece of paper from? Oh, Liberty University. Oh, cool. <laughs> hey, Liberty, if you're listening, you can order I it need off paper. <laughs> you know, it's just. I mean. It's just, it's, you just got really got to pay attention. Yeah. Yeah. The final word. I have one final thought. It is a challenge to our Ooh. listenership. Uh, if you go to the uh, Dead Sea Scrolls Wikipedia article towards the bottom when it talks about the forgeries, um, there is a 1954 Wall Street Journal uh, uh, classified ad uh, listed under miscellaneous for sale. The four Dead Sea Scrolls. Biblical manuscripts dating back to at least 200 BC are for sale. This would be an ideal gift to an educational or religious institution by an individual or group. Oh, I invite everyone, if you're having like a yard sale, to take a box, you know, stick your kids' drawings or a bunch of old magazines in there, and put that exact label on there and, and set whatever price you'd like. <laughs> See if you have any takers. That's awesome. Oh, my God. Uh, uh, no, not, not really any final thoughts. Just uh, another great conversation with another great group of guys. <laughs> yeah, really cool things uh, we talked about. Uh, nothing taboo over brew. Yeah. And we'll try to find, uh, I have a, if I can get the guest I want, we'll have a follow-up on uh, the Dead Sea Scrolls because there's some fascinating highlights inside of this that goes far deeper than anything we covered today because we were just backgrounding for you. So... Please hit us on up on social media and everywhere else you can find us. Love ya. Godspeed. Catch ya. Peace out.